0: Boutrous, boutrous galley, where is my garlic bread? Your outstretched palms are throttling the oven like the neck of an enemy. Boutrous, boutrous galley, can I have chips with my garlic bread? Will they be golden and long, crispy and soft? I've heard you grow spuds above in your loft, with chocolate for soil and Fanta for isle, and pound shop lighters instead of the sun. Boatress, boatress, galley, where is my garlic bread and my chips? Can I also have a side of cod? You're taking your time, and my taxi's outside. The driver is staring with knives in his eyes. Oh, boatress, boatress, galley, De do cashback. That was a poem from fan of the podcast Susan Sarandon. Thank you, Susan. Thank you very much for that lovely poem. What's the crack? it is podcast number 82 you gorgeous pricks how are you getting on are you having a magnificent lovely time you are there's a lot of brand new listeners to this podcast because Acast have been running advertisements for this podcast for the past two weeks across loads of different podcasts around the world so if you're one of the brand new listeners to this podcast uh, the international listeners and you're like I like the sound of this advert what's this podcast about if you're one of these people I would recommend that you go back to the start go back to the very first episode and begin from there because the podcasts are not sequential and in order to fully grasp what the podcast is about because I was asked to do a fucking advert for the podcast I didn't know how to advertise it I I didn't know what to say what the podcast was about in order to get new listeners I just gave it a lash for 30 seconds but if you're a new listener, go back to the start, all right? Um, it will serve you well. So I hope you enjoyed uh, last week's podcast. It was a live podcast with Connor Habib. And I got a great response. Hold on, my microphone's being a prick. It was a live podcast with Connor Habib. And it was very good crack. Got a great response. Um, I liked listening to it. It was a lot of fun. My ma didn't like it she she found it a bit a bit too challenging to be listening to uh, a gay porn star talking about gay porn for that amount of time but fuck it you know she's in her 80s it's grand um so yeah i i did a live podcast last week because as you know i went to spain for 6 days to write my book so that i could ...fully and 100% have zero distractions... ...and sit down in cafes and literally write. And I did that. I am very, very happy with the writing that I did in Spain. I came back with several thousand words. Not the 20,000 that I'd hoped for. I came back with 15,000 words, but... If they're 15,000 good words. They're 15,000. Very, very... I'm very happy with what I wrote, basically, let's. I wrote three separate stories and I'm thrilled with him, very happy, and I entered the flow state. You'll know that I speak about. I speak a lot about the, the state of flow, which is when you're creating, if you're, if you're an artist, and you want to write or make music or whatever, what you're chasing is the state of flow, which is, it's a daydream state. It, it's, it feels like you're daydreaming when you're a kid, but it's incredibly focused as well so like I, when I was there was one one story I wrote and I, li- I literally I felt like I left my body for four hours I swear to fuck I was sitting down in a cafe and um, the handy thing about that is you're sitting down in Spain as well one thing I realized you know why do I like writing in Spain t- so much it's because they have table service with drinks in Ireland you don't really get table service with drinks if I'm sitting down at my laptop in Ireland and I want to have a couple of pints. I'm writing, then I have to get up off my seat, go to the, like, fold up my laptop, get a pint and come back, and that interrupts my writing. But in Spain, I can sit down in a bar for hours and they will just come over and they'll continually bring me glasses of beer or wine when that one is gone. So that that massively assisted my, my flow state. But yeah, I... It was fantastic. It was fucking lovely. The good thing about entering flow as well is that... Not only is... It's like intense meditation. Do you know? It's... It cleanses the... It cleanses my brain or something. I don't know. But if I do a good few hours of flow... I'm the happiest I can possibly be. I feel like... Spiritually cleansed, I suppose you'd call it. You know what I mean? So a very successful week. And... But it, the week ended quite stressfully. So I was flying back on the Friday night. And I got a late flight. I was leaving Spain at 9. To fly into Shannon Airport in Ireland. And then that morning I find out. That Ireland is being hit by this fucking. Incredibly aggressive storm. Storm Hannah. Right. So. I'm all chilled out. Going right okay. My flight is later on. 9 o'clock on the Friday, I can relax in Spain, I can I can do a bit of editing, we'll say, in the morning. And then I find out there's this fucking storm. The next day, on Saturday, I have a sold-out gig in Cork. Something like 1,500 people in the Cork Opera House. So I need to get back to fucking Ireland. So, as you can imagine, I was shitting fucking bricks. I was terrified. I was legitimately facing the reality that... Like, because Shannon Airport the fucking, the, the storm was going to hit Shannon harder than anywhere else. So I was pretty sure that my flight was going to be cancelled. So what I did, just so I wouldn't let down the people of Cork, I booked a spare flight for the next day, which would would have gotten me into Dublin at two o'clock in the day, which would have meant I would have had to boot down to Cork immediately, basically to just get on stage. And I also booked myself a, a hotel in Malaga to be safe. So I had two flights... So as you can imagine... This is already getting incredibly expensive... If if you book a fucking flight... To, from Spain to Ireland... Uh, on the, the day before... You're looking at a lot of money... Same with the hotel... So anyway... The flight to Shannon... It, was, it went ahead... It went ahead... So I got on the plane at 9 o'clock... Going fucking brilliant... I'm going to be back in Limerick tonight... And I didn't know why... Because it's like the storm is still raging back home... So as I'm on the plane... The three hours are over... ...and the fucking pilot says to us... ...we're diverting to Dublin... ...so I arrived in Dublin very very late... ...on Friday night at about one in the morning... ...because it's Ryanair... ...who are the worst pricks... ...going, they're terrible... ...they couldn't give a shit about their customers... And um, ...the plane fucking lands right... ...tells everyone... ...by the way... ...you're not in... ...in Shannon... ...you're in Dublin... ...and the pilot says... ...right he's an Irish pilot... And I can understand this because I'm Irish, but God help anyone on that plane who is not Irish. The pilot says, Sorry, we're landing you in Dublin. We're going to provide you with buses that will take you to Shannon. You'll find these in the departures lounge. Or the departures lounge in Dublin Airport. I don't know where it is. It's either upstairs or downstairs. The fucking pilot said that. Your coach to Shannon is either upstairs or downstairs. So that's a that's a very complex Hiberno English linguistic thing right there. That right 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 that's pure and utter Irishness. Where are you going? I don't know, it's either upstairs or downstairs. An Irish person hears that and you kinda go What it means is don't worry, you'll find it. I'm not sure. It's it's another way of saying, it'll be grand. Because that's a big Irish thing. Whenever Irish people are presented with a problem, we will say, don't worry, it'll be grand. And it'll be grand means, I suppose it means it'll be all right. It's, it's kind of like saying, look, there's no crisis, I don't have all the information, but you just kind of have to put faith in the fact that it's going to work out and it'll be grand and Irish people do a lot of this it'll be grand shit and we understand it it's our culture but people who are not Irish don't fucking understand it'll be grand and they certainly don't understand the complex linguistic aerobics of we're providing you with buses it's somewhere in the airport it's either upstairs or downstairs I don't know so me hearing this I went okay grand it's either upstairs or downstairs I'll get there I'll figure it out but the fucking Spanish people around me First of all, they're trying to decipher this Claire accent that the fucking pilot had. And they're panicking. He said it was upstairs and downstairs. He said it was upstairs and downstairs. And then I'm trying to calm down this Spanish family going, No, you don't get it, okay? Don't worry. It's 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 either upstairs or downstairs. So then I'm digging a fucking hole for myself because they can't understand me. So I just said, just, just, just ask someone for departures. And then they said, where's the partners? And I almost said, I don't know. It's either upstairs or downstairs. So half of it is Ryanair not giving a flying fuck. And the other half of it is just, that's just Ireland. That's just Ireland. And I I felt like saying to the Spaniards, this is what happens when you're colonized for 800 years. This is what happens when, when the English language is forced upon you you end up saying things like, the departure's lounge is either upstairs or downstairs. So I had a stressful, a very stressful last day in Spain. But I tell you what, and this, again, it's as part of my ongoing mental health. Like, I talk a lot about mental health. I talk about a lot about the coping mechanisms that I use. Being put in a situation where I don't know if I can get back to Ireland and I've got a sold-out gig tomorrow right that's in terms of stress that's about an eight out of ten that's that, that's a potential disaster situation it would be it would be realistically it would be very very bad for me to not make it to Cork and for there to be 1500 people who've bought tickets turning up to a fucking gig and I don't show up that is a that, that's terrible that would be very very bad ...and it's appropriate for me to... ...respond to it as such... ...that that's a, that's a bad situation... ...it would be terrible for the poor people... ...that came out wanting a gig... Uh, ...it would be terrible for me... ...as a person doing the gig... ...and it would probably... ...it would cost a shitload of money... ...because if you don't turn up to a gig... ...like... ...people are entitled to refunds... ...and the venue are entitled to go... ...we, we could have had a show on tonight... And we could have gotten our money's worth and you didn't turn up. So give us all the money for the tickets. So it could have been mad expensive too. So I was presented with a legitimate crisis in Spain. And as you know, my big mental health issue is anxiety. Anxiety is a huge trigger for me. So when I find myself, and, and this is something I've, I've been doing over the years. When I find myself in a situation that I know is hugely, hugely triggering for my anxiety there's my learning opportunity there's my opportunity more than ever for me to use the coping mechanisms such as CBT to deal with it because I'll be honest when I found out there's a storm in Ireland and I mightn't get home and I might miss a gig my gut right my my actual negative learned behaviour from childhood what I wanted to do what my emotions wanted me to do was to curl up in a ball in the train station in Spain I wanted to curl up in a ball and rock back and forth and make whimpering noises and maybe scream that's what my body wants to do I wanted to scream and rock back and forth and probably get arrested and kicked out of the train station that's, that's what my emotions were telling me to do and 12 years ago I probably would have done that So because I felt all these triggers boiling up, going right now this is a challenging situation. All that shit you've learned with mental health and resilience and coping and dealing with things like an adult now is when you fucking need them. Not necessarily last week when you're chilled out and you're enjoying yourself. Right now, you're in a fucking crisis. So I did. And what I did is I just used CBT. I looked it out and like I said earlier, it's like okay I'm in a legitimately frightening situation I'm in a potentially catastrophic situation and then I'd say to myself yeah fuck it if I miss the gig that would be terrible however it's some of it is outside of my control at the moment I'm still healthy I'm still safe you know it'll be disappointing it'll cost a few quid but ultimately I'm not in any physical danger so I said that to myself and then I said Here's the shit I can't control. What can I not control? I can't control whether my flight is cancelled or not. We're talking about the fucking weather. That is outside of my control. So what can I control? What I can control is how I, how I react to this situation. So then I do what's known as moving things from your head to your heart. I'm thinking these things cognitively. And then I say, right, how can I move it from my heart? And w- when you move it from your head to your thoughts, into your emotions, then what happens is that that starts to influence your behavior. So my irrational thoughts wanted me to curl up into a ball and start whimpering and crying. That would be thoughts are negative, emotions are then negative, whimpering and crying. And then my beh- yet yeah, the behavior then of the crying and screaming, that's negative as well. And the consequences of that would have been probably me getting arrested. Like I said, I'd be you can't go around screaming and crying in a train station in Spain. You, you you will get arrested. So instead, I was like, here's what I can control. I can book, I can see what other flights are available. I can see, you know, I can try to get my flight tonight. I can try to get my flight at nine o'clock. And if it's cancelled, I will have a plan B. And that plan B will be... To stay in... A hotel in Malaga. And it'll cost a few quid, but fuck it. The gig is more important. And I'll have a flight the next day. And it's going to be tight. Alright? But I can try, at the very least. And that's what I did. So I had my plan B in place. Then I started... I foolishly rang my mother. And my mother... is She enjoys panicking, you know, so she told me and I think she might have been half right that had I gone to the airport at 9 o'clock and checked my luggage in and if I was in the airport waiting to see if this flight would get cancelled or if the flight stayed too long I, I wouldn't be able to leave the airport and go to my hotel because a plane what is it, if your luggage is on the plane you, you can't really leave then you know you can't really fuck off and leave uh, you're you're i think you're treated your luggage has to be accountable and they'd have to unload all the luggage in order for me to leave and then i said to her fuck it i'll risk it and then she said to me no 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 they'll think you're a terrorist they're going to think that you're a terrorist and they might shoot you they're going to shoot you so then i realized it was rather foolish to ring up my mother because you know, that, that's where I learned some of these anxiety behaviours. So now all of a sudden I'm on the phone to my ma and I'm role-playing, being in Malaga Airport, wanting to leave, my luggage being on the plane. I'm visualising running. I'm, I'm running towards the gate and now those Spanish police with the machine guns are shooting me and I can feel the bullets pouring through my chest. So then I get off the phone and I say, no, I, I'm not entertaining the idea right that wanting to go to Cork means me be dying in a hail of fucking gunfire in Malaga I'm not having that so I hung up the phone and what I do too is you know as an act of self-compassion I become aware of of epigenetic trauma which is the the theory that trauma kind of carries through your genes and I become aware of like you know I have generations of IRA blood in me you know my 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 grandfather literally lived on the run fucking hiding from the black and tans because he shot 17 of them. My great-grandfather was involved in the same shit. So I have this legitimate trauma stored somewhere either in my genes or through learned behaviours of actually entertaining the idea that you'll be shot as a terrorist. You know, as absurd as that sounds, but that's where I needed to go at that moment in order to... Calm down while getting off the phone i had to go do you know what it, it's not that mad that you'd be thinking this um it's something again i think that irish people have it, it reminds me of a situation where we were filming over in england over in london and it was with bbc and we were it, it was it was snowing heavily in london and we were filming around the embassies in london right so you have like it was right outside the pakistani embassy so outside the outside the embassies in london you have heavily armed guards right so we're trying to film these embassies but it's mad snowing outside and as a result of this we don't want to leave the car so we're in this giant blacked out mercedes jeep and we have the door open on the side our cameraman's wearing a balaclava and pointing this camera out the fucking door now he's a very posh Englishman me and my director are both Irish so we're driving around the fucking embassies balaclavas with a camera pointing out and then we, the paddies, start freaking out going, they're going to kill you they're going to shoot you they're going to think that you're trying to shoot up the embassy and they have guns and they're going to kill you now the posh English fella was just like don't be silly don't be ridiculous it's a camera and then we start screaming going no no they're gonna shoot us they're gonna kill us and that was our epigenetic trauma i'm guessing that the posh english fella just simply didn't have but i digress so i I got off the phone to my ma and i calmed down and i said right what's a plan b how do i not put my luggage on the plane so what I simply did is I took all the liquids, because I didn't even have big luggage anyway. I had one of those smallish uh, bags with wheels, but you could take it on the plane if you wanted. So I just took all of my liquids out of it. I I had hair gel, deodorant and hand sanitizer. And I said, fuck it, you're staying in Spain, you cunts. And I fucked them into a bin. And what else did I throw in a bin? Um, and nail clippers and I took everything that wouldn't be allowed through security, fucked it in the bin, and then I took my luggage as, as as if it was going on the flight. Now, I hadn't booked it onto the flight, so the Reiner would probably get me for 60 quid, but they didn't. So I also managed to solve that problem in a rational, solution-focused way without entertaining my mother's hypothesis, which is me being shot to death in an international incident where I'm accused of being a terrorist so I did the gig in Cork anyway and it was very enjoyable it was good crack I had a fucking fantastic guest Dr Sharon Lambert she's a a, a lecturer in applied psychology in UCC everything was grand Um, you know it cost me a few quid getting that extra flight in the hotel but fuck it I don't care I got to see all those gorgeous smiling Cork faces at the sold out gig and it was lovely. So anyway, two more live podcasts this weekend. Hopefully they won't be as traumatic. Alright. Uh, the 4th and 5th of May 2019. On the 4th, I am in Letterkenny. Alright. Couple of tickets left for that. On the 5th, the Saturday, Mullingar Art Centre. For the love of fuck, please come to that gig. The promoter is breaking my heart. There's about 100 tickets left. Again, I think it's going to be grand. I think it's going to be grand, but... Mullingar people please come to the gig on Saturday please fucking Christ yeah I went yeah Jesus I'm the only after that's the that's the that's the only time I really t- thought of what I went through there at the weekend I didn't really have time to process it because as soon as I got off the flight I was straight on to Cork you know but I, I had an incredibly great time in Spain except for the last day and it, it kind of took me out of my flow It it took me very much into the real world but I'm tomorrow morning I'm straight back into writing again and that's the other thing too look when it comes to creativity and when it comes to writing intense situations anything that will give you a weird dream all right anything that might disturb your dreams and give you a, a scary dream or an odd dream those triggering situations in the real world if channeled correctly, are also what inform solid creativity, you know? So, I'll probably channel that somehow into a story of some description. Um, If if you are actually a new listener, like at the start where I told you to go back to the first episode, if you're a new listener and you're having a fucking clue what this podcast is about, those past 23 minutes will let you know why I said to go back to episode 1, because if, if you've just arrived now, i just I I, I I don't know what i sound like all right I'm, I'm a lot i'm usually a lot more rational than those past three 23 minutes so as promised this week i do have a hot take for you um a little idea that i've been mulling around something i want to run by ye. so we'll do the ocarina pause now so that i can have an uninterrupted hot take The ocarina pauses so that, I don't know, an advert, digital advert might be inserted and I don't want to alarm you. So I'm going to play my ocarina, my Spanish clay whistle, okay? It's the good one. It's it's not the original good one, but it's the new good one. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety. Or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labelling my emotions, identifying my emotions. I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give Better Help a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible. And it's suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com blindbuy today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com blindbuy. That's a beauty. She's a beauty, isn't she? Little ceramic witch. Um. So yeah, this podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash The Blind Boy Podcast. Do you like this podcast? Are you taking something from it? Am I providing you with an hour of entertainment every week? If this is the case, you can financially support this podcast by becoming a patron. If you met me in real life, would you like to buy me a coffee? Would you like to buy me a pint once a month? You can do it. You can do that by going to the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash The Blind Boy Podcast. If you can afford it, do it. If you can't afford it, you don't have to. If you can't afford it, you're paying for someone else who can't. It's a model that's based on soundness. It's working out fantastically so far. It is... It's providing me with the fucking resources whereby... I can go to Spain for a week and write my book and be happy and have meaning in my life and live as a professional artist. I couldn't really do that a couple of years ago because you don't know how much money is coming and when. So when you're living like that, you kind of have to go, I can't go to Spain next week because I don't know when the next paycheck is coming from and I've got fucking bills but currently because of the patreon i have a regular predictable income which allows me to plan and to live and fucking thank you so much to every single person who is a patron of this podcast thank you so much i cannot state the the security and happiness it gives to me so thank you so much um don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on itunes rate the podcast leave a review also if you're on spotify follow the podcast on spotify and to know people because the, the biggest growth on this podcast is international i've got listeners from all around the world now like half the listenership is is half the bizarrely half the fucking listenership is people who've never heard of me before people who don't know who the rubber bandits are i i was in a i still am a musical act called the rubber bandits for the past 10 years doing songs um so if you want to find me on social media because a lot of people searching for blind boy on social media it's at rubber bandits on twitter at rubber bandits official on instagram and at rubber bandits on on facebook but fuck facebook there's nothing going on there i try and promote the podcast on facebook and it's just pointless no one sees it you know i'd put a post up it would have 10 likes in an hour even though the page is 450,000 followers 10 likes and uh, just one comment from a man from Affili who tells me I haven't been funny since Horse Outside so fuck Facebook so hot take, I do have a hot take this week Um, you know, the hot take It it is the this sweeping, a, a sweeping theory that borders on Borders on conspiracy theory, but uh, isn't isn't as harmful as uh, some conspiracy theories. But borders on conspiracy theory, and and uh, is about eighty percent factual, factually accurate. My hot takes are just like an interesting conversation you'd have in a pub with someone. That's that's what I try and do with them. I want to entertain. I want the hot takes to be entertaining and to be interesting, and to give you the podcast hug, to give you that little that hour once a week where you're not certain, you're not looking in your phone, you're not worried about Instagram, you're not worried about Twitter, you're just listening, you know, and being entertained. So what I was thinking about was a lot of chat recently in the news about, it was a week ago, Theresa May, uh, who is the, the king of England, or whatever the fuck she is, um, Theresa May, Prime Minister of, of Britain, recently it was leaked i believe right and i don't know how 100 percent solid it is but theresa may has agreed a deal with a chinese company called hawaii, hawaii hawaii i think they're called but they're a huge mobile phone company they they make class mobile phones they're not as expensive as other companies but it's it's a Chinese company nonetheless and there's a lot of fear around Chinese technology. Now, how much of this fear is legitimate, I don't know, right? There's something that, that has always persisted in the 20th century and this is a Western bias which is known as the yellow peril. And the yellow peril is a term that describes... A kind of a, a a racist or xenophobic fear towards, particularly in in the Cold War times, it was mainly towards Japan. Okay, Japan, America fucking dropped nuclear bombs on Japan, and they were terrified that the Japanese would retaliate. So as a result, they introduced a thing called the Marshall Plan, I believe, and this limited uh, the amount of... It, it limited the, the, the military that Japan could have. It limited any possibility of the Japanese actually going, ye fucking nuclear bomb does, you pricks, we're going to get you back. After World War II and throughout the Cold War, America stopped Japan being able to produce arms. But the Japanese, as a very industrious and technologically advanced culture they put their efforts instead into electronics, technology. We covered this before with... uh, I did a podcast a few weeks ago about the influence that Japan had on electronic music. All, All the great synthesizers and drum machines come from Japan. But the yellow peril was this Western fear of Japanese technology and Japanese advancement. And you can see it in western popular culture in a film like blade runner we'll say you know if you look at blade runner blade runner is set in 2019 and the world of blade runner is a dystopian hell in earth right now where culturally everything is asian the adverts are asian the signage is asian there's uh, strangely not a lot of asian people in the fucking film which is most likely just as a result of good old Hollywood racism but some apologists like to say that uh, no in the world of Blade Runner the Asians won the Cold War or whatever and they live in off world they live in on Mars in, in, in this advanced civilization and all the westerners are living in a dystopian hell on earth but you see in it uh, a fear of Asian culture you also see this in an, another film that Stan, uh, not Stanley Kubrick, what's his fucking name? Ridley Scott, who directed Blade Runner. The film he made after Blade Runner, which is a very shit film but looks beautiful. The film he made after Blade Runner is called Black Rain and it's visually very similar to Blade Runner. I I watch Black Rain with the sound off uh, just to have it as ambience in the background because it's so visually beautiful. The lighting, the cinematography, it's gorgeous. But it is a film about Michael Douglas as a cop in New York, and he's fighting the Yakuza, who are the Japanese mafia. And the name Black Rain, Black Rain literally means, it's it's the rain, it's the nuclear fallout rain. So the name itself actually references Japanese revenge. You know, the Yakuza are there in in New York restaurants... ...shooting the place up with machine guns... ...and the name of the film means Black Rain... ...so they're actually consciously saying... ...this is the Japanese revenge... ...they're getting us back for dropping atomic bombs... ...and killing hundreds of thousands of people... ...so the fear of Chinese electronics... ...that exists at the moment... ...now I know China and Japan... two massively different fucking cultures... ...miles apart completely different people but in the western racist lens it doesn't matter they're all those people over there on the east to quote unquote to use the colonial term orientals okay this is how the trope of yellow peril um operates so Theresa May's after doing a deal with Hawaii to provide the 5G infrastructure in the uk 5g is an upcoming technology it's going to kick in in about two or three years they already have it in china i believe it's the next phase of the internet 5g is going to change everything it's i don't know loads about it but like you'll be able to download an entire film in like a second also i think it does away with wi-fi towers and shit it's like the internet will literally be everywhere the internet will be in things it's you know right now we have fridges with a bit of internet in them and toasters with internet in the 5g world fucking everything will have internet in it my vape pen that i smoke is going to have some type of internet receiver in it because 5g will allow that to happen and it is incredibly advanced unlike anything we've seen internet wise so far so the west wants to get stuck into this 5g shit for commerce and for military and for everything it's the future it is the future that's how we're going to be living in 10 years and how life is right now will seem like the stone age when 5g kicks in but the leaders of 5g technology are the chinese okay They are the ones who have the ability to really roll this out. The main competitors, Nokia is one who are a Swedish company, I believe, and I think there's an American company too. So, the US government at the moment is essentially bullying countries around the world and saying to them, do not do any deals with the Chinese. Don't do any electronics deals with the Chinese. Don't allow them to do your 5G infrastructure, none of that shit and their line, their threat basically is you can't trust the Chinese government, they're a totalitarian communist state and they all they want to do is to roll out a Trojan horse basically. They want to, because I think they approached Australia and they, they did like Australia's broadband for fuck all. So the Yanks are saying the Chinese want to get 5G in every country and they want their infrastructure to be 5G because what it essentially means is that if, if you're, you know, if in a 5G future, all of the infrastructure, everything from your kettle to the National Health Service to the military is 5G enabled, the US fear is that the Chinese are going to have this technology which can spy upon the West and in the event of cyber warfare can essentially cripple the West because you can turn off the lights, you can you can cause chaos. So this is what the US are saying. Stay the fuck away from the Chinese. The The British decision to decide to partner with Hawaii or Hawaii or whatever they're called, it's it's a bit strange. It's very odd. And there's two ways of looking at it. One way is that in the event you know, Brexit is happening, therefore the brits are shitting their pants about trade and so they're basically on their knees going okay we will take we china are willing to do this with us so we're going to fucking do it because we're out of the eu and we don't know what we're going to do that's one reading the other reading is that the british are deliberately saying they're going to allow the chinese to provide their 5g infrastructure as a kind of ...scary, frightening thing... ...to both the EU and the US... ...whereby the EU will go... ...okay lads, alright, we'll give you whatever you want... ...just don't allow the Chinese have the infrastructure... ...because then that's a backdoor for the rest of Europe... ...so I don't fully know what's happening around there, right... ...so... ...I do believe that the... ...look, we've all seen the fucking... What, ...the NSA... what the, what the, ...the Americans are also spying on people... ...and mining data... And Trojan horsing and spying on governments and using data in a malicious fashion. We've seen this. The Edward Snowden leaks proved this. This is what the US are doing, it's what the British are doing, it's what most Western countries are doing. The Chinese are also doing it. Okay? What it's about really is do you want the quote unquote good guys like America and Britain spying on you and controlling your data? or do you want the quote-unquote bad guys China spying on your data so it comes down to that it's imperialism as such and there is elements of this yellow peril this orientalism mixed with uh, technology this fear so I don't know fully where I stand on it it's it's digital imperialism is what I'll call it and there's some dark shit going on around it like um i don't know if you remember there around december like the the us are taking this very seriously the the daughter of the founder of hawaii okay at this this technology mobile phone company this chinese company in the daughter of she's the chief financial executive of hawaii she was arrested in canada ...and is facing extradition charges in the US... ...so you have the, 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 the US... ...the, the C- Canadians have arrested this Chinese businesswoman... ...the US want her extradited and brought to the US... Uh, ...on charges of Hawaii doing business with Iran... ...and there's currently an embargo... ...but there's been a long-standing embargo on Iran... ...that techno- technology companies are not to provide technology to Iran... Um, I, I always remember, you know, Dell computers used to be in Limerick and I remember getting a Dell computer about 10 years ago or whatever and when you buy the computer, you had to sign an agreement and part of the agreement you had to agree that you would not allow the computer to be shipped to Iran or to be given to an Iranian person. So, the daughter of Hawaii is i believe still in canada arrested facing extradition charges which is it's very dark it's it, that's medieval shit you know throughout medieval times you always had princes or kings getting kidnapped and held for ransom you know as for the you know true international power or mercantilism or whatever geez i'm talking out of my hope there Went straight on to mercantilism. But this was a thing in the medieval times. Uh, princes, princesses, kings, queens were regularly kidnapped and held for ransom. And it reminds me a bit of that. It's strange. So where I want to go my with my hot take. It's not necessarily a technological one. But more of a, a philosophical hot take. Um, what I find interesting and kind of scary about China is... China's a communist state, okay? Now, it might just be communist by name. I'd like to know what Karl Marx would think of China as a communist state and whether it's it's what he envisioned it to be, or Lenin. Um, There's a lot of inequality there. You know, it's got a lot of billionaires, there's a lot of poor people, um, very little freedom of expression, next to no freedom of expression. The Chinese government kind of controls everything in people's lives they're highly responsive to any threat um if you've ever been you know in Grafton Street in Dublin or in Chinatown in London you'll often see these Chinese protesters and what they do is they line the street and they'll be kind of sometimes they're on the ground like tied up or bound And there'll be someone with a megaphone, usually in Chinese, and you you have to sign this petition. And what it says is Falun Gong. And Falun Gong is this, I don't know what you even call it, a movement. Falun Gong is a mindfulness practice that's kind of like Tai Chi. It's not religious. It's not political. It simply is just to reduce it to be very reductive about it it's just mindfulness it's a kind of like yoga mindfulness but the thing is in China it's very 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 popular a lot of people do this Falun Gong and a lot of people were gathering in parks by the thousands to do these Tai Chi like yoga movements and to practice this mindfulness called Falun Gong Like I said, not political, not religious, not ideological. And this very quickly became violently outlawed in China. Practitioners of Falun Gong are kidnapped and like sent away to camps. And there's accusations of, you know, one reading is that because these Falun Gong people are, are, you know, they're so healthy to be doing this practice... Their organs are harvested against their will and they're tortured and they're bound. And it's a huge human rights abuse that's happening in China. So in Chinatowns in like London, or you'll see it in Grafton Street, or in Parnell Street up in Dublin, you'll see these protests for Falun Gong. And you're kind of thinking, why the fuck is this outlawed in China? They're not doing anything. All they're doing is mindfulness. Why, why is this illegal? The reason it's illegal is the very fact That so many people in China are unified under one idea. That is not the government state sanctioned way to be. Just the fact that people are gathering in this other thing is enough for it to be a threat. Because the Chinese government are going, well if all of them are getting together just to move slowly in a park... Well, then they're a unified group. And what happens if they do get political? Then you have a revolution in your hands. So let's just shut it down now. Even though they're not really doing anything wrong, they just happen to be doing it together. So that, that's one little insight to how freedom of expression is really uh, shut down in China. There's uh, the Muslim population in China at the moment are facing severe human rights abuses. And... The other thing that interests me about China is that China is one of a few countries that is officially an atheist state. It's not secular. A secular state, you know, allows complete freedom of religion and, you know, the government will not interfere with religion. But in China, it is an atheist state. The actual state policy is one of atheism religions do exist but I think there's only like five and you have to be one of these five religions and if you're outside of those five religions then it's outlawed and how the these religions practice is controlled and watched and monitored by the government which is state atheism like in in 2016 uh your man Xi Jinping I think his name is he's he's the is he the president, general secretary of the Chinese government? Like, he'd straight up said that, you know, the Communist Party, which is, the you know, the one state ruling party of China, must be unyielding Marxist atheists. And, you know, within Marxism, within, going back to the Russian Revolution, you know, anti-religion is a thing. It's It's... The original communists and the leninists and the stalinists or whatever they they didn't view religion quite kindly they saw religion as uh is it opium for the masses is that a marx quote or is that an oscar wilde quote but it was viewed as a a very corrupt thing a very corrupt thing that would take all the money and land off the working classes and essentially control them so therefore it would be an enemy of marxism and, and true liberation of the people you know so China kind of takes this this stand that it is an atheist state there's no real place for God in China or the idea of a God and I can see why this would work within Chinese culture because China is again harking back to another podcast that I did last year about collectivism versus individualism China is a collectivist country. The culture is collectivism. How people view their community is collectivist, versus, we'll say, in the West we are individualist. And um, collectivism basically is it's it's when the rules of society promote selflessness. And it's not about you as an individual, it's about your community as, as a whole. It's about everyone. If you are to exist in a collectivist society, there's very little room for selfishness. What can I do to better the people around me and how can we exist as a system as such? And, you know, communism is a bit like that. Um, working together as a group, doing what's best for your society... In the West, we're individualist, we think about ourselves, we're interested in in promoting ourselves first, we're an individualist culture, probably stemming from ideas that come from the, the Greeks, Greek Western traditions, also like, you know, monotheistic religion tends to be quite individualistic, it's about, you know, your personal relationship with God, it's about the person, you know. Um, also as well we discussed in that podcast anthropologists have looked at societies that are collectivist versus societies that are individualist what they found is that cultures whereby rice is the staple carbohydrate tend to be collectivist because if you're to grow rice rice is not something you can grow on your own in your back garden it's a difficult crop to grow And it requires the input of every single person in the community. If you're to have a decent rice crop, everyone has to chip in to look after all the rice and then all that rice feeds the community. And the theory is that cultures where rice is the main staple food, these cultures tend to be collectivistic. In the West, where the staple carbohydrate is things like wheat, uh, potatoes, even though I suppose potatoes are South American, but we'll say wheat, barley. You can quite comfortably have your own little patch of barley and your own little patch of wheat and make your own barley for yourself and your family and your neighbor can do the same. And this led to an individualistic way of addressing yourself in Western societies, okay? So back to China, this massive country that is ruled by communist state atheism here's my hot take now you can tell me to fuck off if you want, you can tell me I'm talking out of my arse that's grand, it's just my opinion it's it's my reading of the situation this is what I found find interesting China uh, for a society that's, for, for a government that does not have a god seems to be using technology to invent god Okay. Now let's take a look at what God is. Okay? Now I'm I'm not saying God's real or any shit like that. Let let's let's take the spiritualism out of it and look at God purely from a sociological point of view and maybe an anthropological point of view. You know, what is God aside from God creating everything? The tenets of what God tends to be in We'll say the Abrahamic religions, which is Islam, um, fucking, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, right? These are the... I I don't know what you call... You can't really call... You you can't call Islam a Western religion, but it it, it does have its roots in Abrahamic religions. And the Abrahamic religions are the ones that tended to succeed in the West. Anything that's rooted in Judaism... Both Islam and Christianity are rooted in Judaism and these religions did very well in the West, quote-unquote. So the three real tenets of a God on a philosophical um, level is three things. Omnipotence, omniscience and omnipresence. Omnipotence means that your God is all-powerful. That there is nothing more powerful than god you can try all you want to fight god but you can't because god controls everything from you know it controls your future controls the past controls the weather controls the animals controls destiny fate an omnipotent god is all-powerful an omniscient god means all-knowing An omniscient God knows fucking everything. An omniscient God knows what has happened, what is going to happen. Knows all possible probabilities of what will happen. Most importantly, an omniscient God knows what you are thinking. There is no way to escape an omniscient God. If your thoughts are sinful, an omniscient God knows that your thoughts are sinful. And that omniscient God will use its omnipotence to Reward or punish you when you die so there's no escaping an an omniscient omnipotent God finally the third tenet of what a God is in the Abrahamic tradition is omnipresent God is everywhere there is no escaping you can't climb into a cupboard and have five minutes away from God so these three tenets are what God has been thousands and thousands of years and you know to take to view it purely from a, a sociological and anthropological point of view it serves you know it serves an important it, 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 it serves an important role in, in terms of keeping order in society if and interestingly too this omnipotent a omnipresent and omniscient god thing it tends to emerge in human society alongside monotheism which means one god it tends to arrive in society when farming became a thing right because the thing with farming is when humans were hunter-gatherers right humans used to just go around in little parties and gather their nuts and fruit and humans weren't necessarily territorial And it was just small bands of people trying their best to get their food. And these communities used to be polytheistic. They they relied upon the chaos of nature. They had many different gods. One that controlled the sun, one that controlled the crops, one that controlled the fucking wind, one that controlled the animals. Several different gods in order to control the simple chaos of uncertainty that a hunter-gatherer faces. A hunter-gatherer has no certainty. Do we have berries? No, we ate them all. Okay, let's move and find the next berries or the next herd of deer or whatever. Then when humans start to discover agriculture and farming, what happens is humans start to be able to grow things like wheat and barley and now humans don't have to move because your food is something you can grow from the ground. And from this came cities and towns. No longer do you have a small group of people farting around the place in maybe, Dunbar's number would say it's between 30 and 150 people. Now you have large communities of up to a thousand or even more existing together, not needing to travel because they're growing food, they're farming animals. And what it also does too is, in, in this large society, it creates the problems that societies face. crime you know crime and fighting some people say that things like crime and fighting they really became an issue when the concept of surplus became a thing when you're a hunter gatherer you don't really have surplus you have enough food to maybe last you a couple of weeks but that's it when you've got a huge field of wheat and you harvest it and you can store those grains in a big tower and feed the whole community for fucking six months now you have too much and when this little town has too much wheat the other hunter gatherers who haven't established communities yet are going look at those cunts with all their wheat what are we doing you know dying out here fucking looking for berries looking for deer let's go and steal their wheat so then they have to you know create defenses And this is where large-scale war starts to happen in... in, I'm talking 30,000 years ago, lads. Long, long time ago. And this is where large societies and conflicts and inequality come from. The concept of surplus. Having too much and other people going, I want what that person has. They have loads of it. I'm taking it. And monotheism, the idea of one God, tends to prop up in human communities when this shit happens, Right? because it serves an important purpose i want i want that person's wheat and when they're asleep at night i can sneak into their silo and i can steal the wheat and there's nothing really you can do about it other than have 24-hour guards so you get these concepts such as well if you steal the wheat god will see And God can see everything you do. And if you even think about stealing the wheat, God will know you're thinking about it because he's all-powerful, so he can punish you. He's everywhere, so there's no like disguise you can put on yourself to steal the wheat. He's going to fucking see you. And he knows everything. He knows you stole the wheat, so you can't blame someone else. And he knows that you're thinking about it. And his omnipotence will have its wrath upon you you will be punished in the afterlife. So this creates social order and it's very useful and it was very useful in all of human history. But as you know, technology advances in society, you tend to not need the idea of God anymore because you know that it's probably bullshit. So what my hot take is and what makes it so fucking interesting with China as this atheist state that has completely done away with the concept of God They've, they've gotten rid of it. So now they have a society. Now it is collectivist. And there is you know high amounts of shame. If you don't pull your weight. But in this atheist society. How do you. Stop the people stealing the grain. When they know there's no God. When the government says there's no God. When the country is big enough. To go. You can do a crime. And you can get away with it. And no one will see you. So what China is doing right now is it, it inadvertently and I think it doesn't know it's doing this I think it's a natural cultural evolution development China is creating God with technology and this here's how China is doing this China is creating what's known as a social credit system and it'll be fully in effect by 2020 it's all it's in most of China already it's been going they they come up with the idea in 2007 now In individualistic countries uh, in the West, we're familiar with the credit system. Credit system in in fucking Ireland or America, it it tracks, you know, are you good at paying money back? So if you take loans out and you pay them back in time, then you've got a good credit. So if your credit is shit and you go to apply for a loan, they're going to go, well, we can see here from your credit history that you're really bad at paying loans back so we're not going to give you another loan you know that again that's highly individualistic it's, it's about money it's about the person we also have it in a, in a lesser scale with if you use airbnb if, if you use airbnb and you have your airbnb profile if you go and stay with someone in spain in airbnb if, if you don't leave the place in, in a good state, if you break the rules that your Airbnb host has set for you, you know, don't have any parties, no pets, if you break these rules, then the Airbnb host will leave a bad review. And then because you now have a bad review on your Airbnb profile, when you go for more Airbnbs, the host will see that you've got a bad rating and you are less likely to get another Airbnb. So these are forms of credit systems that we already have uh very much around individualistic consumerist principles so it's not that new to us but china as a collectivist country collectivism being what can you do for your society not about you as an individual but how well are you contributing to your community are you pulling your weight china has been rolling out what's known as the social credit system and it's doing this through mobile phones, technology, data, tracking. The shit that you and I are used to, you know, your data being tracked. Like, over here, it's it's mainly being used for advertising. Alright, that whole business with fucking Brexit and the US election, using online data to influence politics. But mainly, our data here is tracked so... You know i like some of it my my, uh, you know i use spotify a lot so my data is tracked on spotify so if i'm listening to a new band that i like i look forward to spotifying spotify tracking my data collating that data with other users that are listening to the same thing and then recommending to me some music that i'll probably like so i quite enjoy that but china is the government is using people's data and mobile phones and laptops to rate and create a social credit score based on how productive you are as a member of society how good or bad you are as a person so china as well as a communist state so as a result of this the tech companies in china are very heavily regulated by the government and share all of their data on all their users with the one-party state communist government. So how does this social credit system work? Well, first off, basically what they're trying to do is they want to make, like, having your mobile phone completely fucking mandatory. You have to have a mobile phone if you are to be a citizen. And this mobile phone tracks your data. What they also have is... Really, really complex facial recognition. So uh, there's tons and tons of security cameras all over China, and they have your face scanned, and if they see you in it, they can recognize your face. That face is collated with your you know your identity, which is logged with the government. So you are completely and utterly tracked at all times. Now, we kind of have experienced this in the West, you know, if you have your phone on you at all times, we know our phones listen to us speak. We know that our phones track our, our GPS wherever we go. This happens here in the West, but we have a, 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 the illusion of a certain degree of freedom around it. In China, within collectivism, what they're looking for is whether you're a, a bad, selfish citizen or a good, contributing, trustworthy citizen. So, things that will. So, you're given this social credit score this is your score right one out of ten we'll say if you do things like you know you're not your driving isn't great then this is logged via your phone and it goes into your social credit score and this is lowered if you're smoking fags where you shouldn't be smoking fags interesting playing too many video games will lower your social credit score if, if you spend too much time playing video games then ...you're being selfish, you're being individualistic... ...you're not contributing to society... ...you're spending too much time alone... ...that will lower your social credit score... ...if you... ...and this is where it gets scary... ...if if you are seen to be spreading rumours... ...they call it... ...spreading rumours or gossip... ...which basically means... ...you know, going online and talking shit about the wrong stuff... ...which could be... ...talking too much about Christianity... ...talking too much about Islam... Um, this entire podcast where I'm criticising the Chinese government this would lower your social credit score lots of these different things can lower how you're viewed as a citizen you know, sending someone a mean message on Facebook, being rude to somebody, via your DMs, speaking shit out of your mouth around somebody and your phone is listening to you what you have here is an omniscient device in your pocket that is able to track every single aspect of your behaviour and the government judges whether this behaviour is good and contributes to your community or whether it's bad, takes away from the community and is selfish so if you have a low social credit score in China there's there's proper fucking punishments for it and the punishments start off kind of low, it, it, they're very inconvenient so if you are a person who will say drinks too much do you know I'll go to the off license once a week now my phone knows I'm going to the off license because my phone's in my pocket so it can trace right he's gone up to O'Brien's off license once a week now let's just say we move towards a cashless society which is what's going to happen cash is going to be gone and in China they want everything to be paid for with the mobile phones so you no longer are transferring cash if you go to the fucking off license and you decide you want 8 cans of beer on a Friday and you have to pay for this with your mobile phone it is logged that you have bought 8 cans of beer 8 cans of beer might be considered acceptable if you go again on a Sunday and now it's 16 cans of beer this is seen as alcoholism and drunkenness and you are not contributing to society, so this lowers your social credit score, right? What is life like for a person like this? Well, it means that, let's just say, they want to get on uh, a train, and they need to go somewhere. Well, if your social credit score is low, you might be denied access to that train, or you might be pushed back to a queue where only people with good social credit scores get on the train first, and you might have to walk. Um... They also punish you by if your social credit score is low, then your internet is shit. You don't have good, fast internet to consume media the way you want. You're put on a really slow internet, so your life is not very enjoyable. Um, A lot of it reminds me of the fucking Irish penal laws or the Jim Crow laws that they had in America. Because if your social credit score is particularly low and you want your children to go to go to a school, if you want your children to go to a good school, we'll say... And your social credit score is low. Your children are not going to get into that school. Simple as that. You're denied the best education that you can get. Um, Jobs. How do you go for that job? How do you go for that job when your social credit score is low? You're going to be excluded from it. They keep you out of fucking hotels, amenities. Basically... In this Japan, or sorry, China is a country with a lot of money and people like to spend money and they like to go to restaurants and they like to have pastimes and to enjoy themselves when they can. If your social credit score is low, you are denied access to these things. You are actively fucking punished. If you go too far with it, then you're put on the blacklist. Then you can actually end up in prison. ...then you end up severely punished... ...we don't know... ...are people being sent off to camps... ...like these Falun Gong people... ...but I'm guessing they would... ...you know... ...it's a great way to shut down on Falun Gong... ...because they know that all of a sudden... ...all these people are all together... ...in a public park... ...and they know when you're practicing Falun Gong... ...so... ...this is not science fiction as well lads... ...this is not... ...this is what's going to happen... ...this is what... ...this is happening in China now... ...it has been rolled out since... ...the idea came in 2007... It's been on a pilot scheme since 2014. About 70% of the country is now in the social credit system. And by 2020, it's going to be all over China as a collectivist way to control society via punishments and rewards and create the best citizens in accordance with what the totalitarian state government decides what a good citizen is. Now, what happens if you're a good citizen? You don't drink all the time. You don't play video games. You're a good driver. You're nice to people. You obey the party line. You don't talk shit on the internet. You are a good contributing member of society. So that What happens then is your social credit score goes up. People whose social credit scores are high, they actively get actual fucking rewards. So those rewards are... I've heard one of them is you get... If you're on a dating website... You're most li- more likely to get good matches. Obviously, you get pushed ahead in queues. Like, it, I don't know. Let's just say your fucking... Your printer breaks and you want to fix it. So what do you do? You ring up the printing company to say... My printer's broken. How do I fix it? If your social credit score is low... You are put to the bottom of the queue... To speak to an operator. If your social credit score is high you're put at to the top of the queue and you can speak to someone who'll fix your printer quicker. This is the same for plumbing services for you know if 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 you've a fucking you know a leak in your bloody house and you need it fixed really quickly. People with high social credit scores get the services first. Health. You know what if you want access to a doctor? If you want access to a doctor, you better have that social credit score high. You better be a model citizen, because then you will get to the doctor first. If your score is low, you are not getting the medical attention that you need. And this is fucked up. People with the highest social credit scores are given discounts on their household bills. They walk into a restaurant, they're given discounts, they might be given some free food, serious perks and if you behave yourself in accordance with what the totalitarian totalitarian state government decides you are going to be treated very very well essentially people with bad social credit scores live in hell people with good social credit scores they live in heaven the social credit score will also actively discourage you from interacting with people who have a low social credit score it could even be a member of your family it could be your brother If you have a a brother who is suffering from alcoholism and drinks loads and loads and loads because they have a disease when you call your brother up on the phone this big police siren plays When 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 you ring up your brother a police siren plays and warns you you are talking to somebody with a low social credit score. If you continue to do it That can impact your social credit score. So it encourages people to treat the people who aren't behaving themselves, quote-unquote, to treat these people as pariahs, to treat them as outcasts. This is happening in China now. And what is this social credit score system? It's omnipresent. It's everywhere. It's all-powerful. That means it's omnipotent. And it is all-knowing. It's omniscient. It is using technology to read your face with cameras, to track you, and there's no escaping it. When they move to a cashless society, there truly is no way of escaping it. The Chinese, this atheist state, has created God using technology. The old God, where it was existed as a concept that you were afraid of, I remember it myself, you know, I was indoctrinated as a child in Catholicism up until about the age of 10 I had God in my head, God existed in my head at all times, and I was conscious of sinning, and I would never think about sinning, or never try and sin, because God was in my head, because Catholicism had done that to me, it's a story I told before, but when I was seven years of age, we were fucking around in in class, messing or whatever, and uh, an incident happened, I, I went into it before, but anyway, we were about to make our first confirmation, and because I'd been bald in class the teacher dragged me to the top of the fucking classroom and got a jam jar filled it up with water and said this jam jar is blind by his soul and then she put dirt into the jar and said this is now his dirty soul because he has sinned and he can only absolve this by going to the priest and telling this priest his sins and his by confessing to the priest that's the fucking social credit score system lads Except it's not a concept anymore. In China, it is a technological fucking reality. They have created God. And that is my boiling hot roasting take for this week. And I just hope to fuck that that never happens here. I just really, really hope that we don't end up with that. And it would be naive of us to think that our society that we live in such a free society that they won't do it of course they'll do it the thing is with china is that because it's already communist because it's already atheistic because it's already collectivist it's easier to roll these things out within a you know a government that has so much control and a culture that already is collect collectivistic in the west you know, we already give away huge amounts of our data, but in order for us to do it, it's you know, it's true free apps, it's true deception, and um, you know, it it it, w- it would be true. The way our rights get stripped away in the West is, some big disaster happens or some big terrorist attack happens, and then our rights are stripped away from us under the guise of it keeping us safe. Biggest example would be post nine eleven. As soon as nine eleven happened. George Bush brought in a thing called the Patriot Act. And the Patriot Act basically gave wide kind of powers of surveillance and interrogation on American citizens under the guise of it's protecting homeland security. So the issue I have with this, and if it did happen in the West, they could kind of do it in the morning. Your phone already knows how many times you go to the off license it already knows how fast you drive down the road it already knows what your purchases are it already knows how much shit you talk about the government online it already knows these things about you your data is being collected right now just because we live in the west our data is being used instead to sell us more things the individualistic it's it's not really aggressively and explicitly being used to control but if they wanted to flick that switch in the morning the infrastructure is kind of already there to do it your phone already knows this stuff it just takes malicious intent um so best of luck anyway i'll talk to you next week all right hope you enjoyed that um Have a lovely time. I really enjoyed this podcast. I love a good fucking hot take. I I really enjoy just ranting and getting it out of my head. And you know what? One or two facts might have been wrong. But if you're here for hardcore academic fucking facts, then you're listening to the wrong podcast. I'm just talking off the top of my head based on things that I read and things that I'm interested in. And mostly what I want it to be is... Entertaining and engaging, and I hope you had a lovely podcast hug. All right, I'll talk to you next week.